Hello and welcome to Connect FCS Ed, where we talk about family and consumer science education. This podcast is geared towards recruiting, maintaining, and supporting all FCS educators. I am your host, Barbara Scully, and I am here to help boldly celebrate with you families and careers. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Connect FCS Ed. I am your host, Barbara Scully. Today, I am super excited to share with you our guest host. Not only is or was she a teacher, she is now a tech integration specialist for her own district, as well as a podcast host herself. She has inspired my own digital learning, as well as gamification as a teacher. She makes learning magical. Please give a warm welcome to our guest, Miss Tisha Richmond. Welcome, Tisha. Hello. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for having me on. No, thank you for joining. So I guess let's kind of just hit the cast going. And can you share with me your background? I already know I I introduced you and everything, but could you kind of dive in a little bit more into it? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in education about 25 years as a family and consumer science teacher for the most part. I taught in Southern California for five years, came up to Oregon, which is where I was not born, but I was raised for most of my younger years. And it took a couple years to just be mom. My kids were really little. I treasure those days where I was able to be at home with them. And then I went back into teaching again at a a district called Medford School District in Southern Oregon at a high school called South Medford High School. And primarily have been culinary arts uh, the entire time. I did have some years where I was teaching interior design too, which I loved. And just recently, in the last two years, I moved to a role as a tech integration specialist in our district, and it has been just a a new adventure for me. I absolutely love it. Uh, It's so different from being in the classroom with students. I I miss that sometimes. I miss the kids, and I miss just being in that space, in that creative space of culinary arts. But I really love now getting to help support teachers and integrating technology and innovative ideas into learning. And I love really even more than that, helping teachers find their joy in teaching and helping students discover their joy of learning. And that really is at the heart of what what I do. And it was really about five or six years ago, it was 2014, where iPads, a set of iPads entered my classroom because of a Carl Perkins grant that I received. And I was really scared to death. I really didn't know what to do with these iPads. I didn't, being kind of the personality that I am, I was panicked that they'd be sitting in this cart and they wouldn't be utilized and all this money would go to waste. And so I really started to dive into, well, how could I use this for learning? And uh, I went to my first ed tech conference and was so inspired and found Twitter and what it meant to be a connected educator. And then that is kind of how this whole magical journey started. And I took a lot of 
leaps um, out of my comfort zone. I had a lot of falls and, uh, and there were times where I wanted to throw my iPads out the window. I thought, oh my gosh, just bring me back to what was comfortable and what I was doing before because I had things pretty dialed in. But what happened is I started to bring these devices into teaching and learning and I started to find some things that were really working. I noticed that learning was beginning to shift in my classroom that students, even though it was an elective class and they had, you know, a lot of kids had chosen to take it, it was, it was engaging. There was a different level of immersive learning and empowered learning that I hadn't experienced before. And when you start seeing those shifts happen in your classroom, you can't, you don't, you, it excites you. It's, it's inspiring. And you're like, wow, like, things are changing. Like I, I noticed that my, this learning environment is becoming something more than I ever imagined it could be. And so I continued to want to learn and to grow. I mean, it was contagious. This excitement that was happening was contagious and I, I just couldn't get enough. And so I, I continued to connect online. I, continued to, I started to share what was happening in my classroom in hopes that maybe I could give back. And the inspiration that I was getting, I could give some of that back to other educators that were looking for that that inspiration. And it's been a, a wild, wild journey, but I love, you know, I got to the point where I, I felt like I wanted to amplify my impact. And though I had never been more happy in my role as a culinary arts teacher, there was this burning desire in me to be able to make a greater impact because I knew that there were so many, first of all, teachers that were burnt out and were feeling like they needed to leave the profession because they were just overwhelmed and had been sapped of their joy. And I felt there were so many students who couldn't wait to leave school because they weren't they weren't finding that joy in learning. And so I, I felt burdened. Like I want to help bring joy into teaching and learning for all kids and, and for all teachers. And I am so grateful now in my role as a tech integration specialist that I'm able to do that. Right now is wild days. As you know, we're in the midst of COVID-19 and learning. The learning landscape has changed drastically in the last four, four weeks. And it's, I've, it's become, my role has become like emergency, like help. <laughs> like people are, are trying to just figure out what ends up in this new digital world that we're living in, uh, teaching from home. But I love being able to do that. And then beyond that, I, I just feel so, so incredibly grateful to Dave and Shelley Burgess from Dave Burgess Consulting for trusting me to share my manifesto and my, my story with the world because it, it is, it's my story, it's my heart. And it's a vulnerable thing when you share that out, um, knowing that, that it's, it's going out to the world for everybody to, 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 to read. But I, again, was hoped in writing the book that... I would help inspire other other educators that maybe was were facing the same the same feelings and the same challenges that I I had as as a teacher 
So Make Learning Magical is, is just that. It, it's my story. And I'm so grateful that in this journey, I've met amazing educators as yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's so so powerful when we when we can connect with with educators beyond our own communities and realize we're really all all in this thing together. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. And I resonate personally, you know, with your story. Going, you know, I have such a desire to to help and to share ideas because that is just the the nature of who I am. Just, gosh, I was just thinking an earlier cast that I, I recorded previously was, I've been in this place of unsettledness for the last three years, just because I'm a new teacher. And I understand my role and where I am at. But I am so, you know, I'm energized with growing. And I want to continue inspiring others and, you know, sharing, you know, my story just like yours. So, you know, thank you. I, <laughs> it's nice to hear other people who have that same, uh, that same, I guess, desire to do so. So it's exciting. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And I, I think it is so true that we all have a story to tell, right? Yeah, we absolutely. all hold our own magic. And my magic is not going to be someone else's magic. We all, we all have, we all, we all have our own. And I think that sometimes as educators, we think that our story is maybe ordinary or that what, what is anybody going to learn from my story? And I think that we have to get past that as educators because we all have a story to share and you never know who is going to resonate with that story. You never know who you could possibly inspire by what you have to share. And I think that our stories are not all like magical, right? Like we have, there's a lot of failure in my story. (laughs) There's a lot of like, oh, wow, why did I do that? And I think that's the realness that shines through too. And I think that that's really... I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one that fails. (laughs) Like there's other people who have too, and that we can learn so much from, from those stories as well. And that has probably been the biggest lesson that I've learned in the last six years is that, you know, we are truly better together and we need each other and we can't remain in our silos. And I think oftentimes in in subject areas like family and consumer science and career and technical education and, and art and some of these, these subject areas, we feel like we are kind of in our own silos. Like we may not have a lot of people in our district to connect with. There's a lot of teachers who maybe teach family and consumer science that they're, this, they're only the only one in their entire district. Yeah. And so they don't have that collaboration. They don't have people to run ideas by. And what I really found was by opening up my professional learning network and looking beyond my own district and region's walls, I was able to open up my mind to so many new possibilities. And not only that, but I started to realize that we don't have to be limited to the ideas that are only in our realm of subject area. Like we can 
learn from people who are teaching the core subjects. We can learn from people who are instructional coaches, administrators, teacher librarians, and we can take what they have to share and we can sift that through our own practice and find those pieces that we can really bring into our own spaces and make our own. And when I started to do that, when I started to realize that my learning community could be so much bigger, that's when I really found that the possibilities were were truly endless. Like there's so much that we can do and we should not be limited by just the surrounding areas that we live in our own subject areas. And don't get me wrong. I have, there's amazing educators in my district. There are amazing people to connect with in my own region, but there are also amazing educators to connect with beyond the regions that we live in. I absolutely agree with you. Holy cow. So I guess with digital learning and everything, why I guess, what is digital learning and why should educators be focusing on it? Well, I think that we have to meet our kids where they're at. And we kind of had a conversation about this earlier that our kids are living in this digital world. They're on Snapchat, they're on Instagram, they're communicating in this space and it's, it's very familiar to them. And we need to be able to speak in a language that our students understand, for one. That's one piece of it. I think another piece is that this digital world is not going away. (laughs) We are living in it and it's going to continue to, it's going to continue to grow and iterate, you know, and businesses, our workforce is wanting people who know how to navigate this digital world that we live in. I mean, COVID-19 is a perfect example of this right now. I mean, we are being forced to live in a digital world where we're not able to maybe connect face-to-face, but we still need, we desperately need that connection. We desperately need to be able to communicate and to collaborate. And this digital world, there's so many ways that we can do that. There's so many ways that we can connect to others from around the world, that we can collaborate with people from around the world, that we get the opportunity to create. And that's powerful. And I think when we can create opportunities with this, with the digital tools that we have, to be able to, to give students these tools where they truly can connect with people and collaborate beyond their own classrooms, that's, that's powerful. And and I always say within my district, when I'm talking about technology, technology is not the only answer. It's not like we should change everything we do to become digital. That's not the point. But what we do need to think about is how are the ways, what are the ways that we can engage students with digital tools that are going to allow them to learn in ways that were not possible before? And, you know, not to use the Chromebook for the same thing that you can do with pen and paper, but how can we go beyond that? How can we truly create opportunities for students to globally collaborate, to create, to critically think, to communicate? That is where the power, the power comes from. And we can start like thinking of this as like this digital toolbox that we can pull from and we can think about the learning experiences that are happening in our classroom, we can think about 
where would this digital tool, how could I use this digital tool to be able to do that? How can I use this thing? And then how can we just continue to create experiences that are non-digital? And, and because there's so much power in that too. I mean, I was a culinary teacher. So there was that's a lot of hands-on learning. My students were creating with food on a daily basis. And that didn't go away. But there were certain tools that I could pull from to amplify what we were doing in the classroom to help students go beyond what they could do without the technology. Absolutely. So in your district, do you have other digital platforms that you guys use? Yeah, so we have a variety of, of tools that we that we use. Um, I think as far as just learning management style platforms, we, we have Google Classroom, which I don't know would be totally considered as a learning management platform, but a lot of teachers use that to be able to, you know, share information with students and for them to give it to give it back. I know that we have teachers that use Seesaw in the younger grades and, and things like Class Dojo. As far as digital tools for connecting and learning, Flipgrid is one of my very favorites because for a lot of reasons, I think it allows students to be creative. There are so many different ways that you can uh, use Flipgrid across grade levels and content areas. There is a wonderful way for students to communicate asynchronously and collaborate asynchronously. Um, Great ways that you can globally collaborate with other classrooms from across the you know across the world they have a robust a library of already created topics that you can pull from and if you don't know what flipgrid is it's basically like a a video recording tool where you can create these lessons where you can you can deliver maybe content to students in the form of a video that you've created or a another digital tool or a a document or a pic, so many different things that you can add and then students respond back with video and they reflect and it's really, really powerful. And one of the, I think a great tool to use right now as we're moving to this digital, you know, learn distance learning that's happening. Pear Deck is one that we went through full Pear Deck premium this year in our district. I love Pear Deck because it allows you to create interactive slides within your Google Drive. And you can also use it with Microsoft. So if you're a Microsoft district, it will also integrate with Microsoft and PowerPoint. But basically, you you take these static presentations that you create and insert these interactive slides that students are able to interact with. So you can send them out either synchronously. So if they're teacher-led and they're forwarding through the slides as you are forwarding through them as a teacher... Or you can send them out so that they are student-driven and they're forwarding through the slides at their own pace and interacting. And the beautiful thing, I think, about that platform, Pear Deck and Flipgrid, is student voice. And I think that that's another reason why these digital tools can be so powerful is because it allows students who may not feel super confident sharing their voice in the traditional way. It allows them opportunity to share their voice in a way that is comfortable to them. And I love that. And with Pear Deck, they're able to answer in a way that is different than raising your hand and being called on. That's powerful. 
students who maybe wouldn't be able to express their opinion in writing or maybe verbally in real life, they are going to feel comfortable sharing and reflecting in a, in a video. You know, you can put an emoji over your face and be able to share and you don't necessarily have anybody seeing what, you know, your face. There's a lot of cool features within Flipgrid that allow you to customize and create an experience that is is meaningful for the student. So I love that. Those are a couple of my very favorites. I love Breakout EDU. Breakout EDU is like an escape room for the classroom where you can share these digital games with your students, which are great right now if you're doing distance learning. And another really cool thing is that Flipgrid and Breakout EDU have combined. So there are at least 36 Breakout EDU games in the Flipgrid Disco Library where you basically find the Breakout EDU game that you want and when students open up that Flipgrid, they play the game, and then you can create questions for them to reflect on the game afterwards. And so they get to share the experience with you, which is really a beautiful thing right now as we're moving to distance learning. If you are, everybody's kind of doing their distance learning differently. But for instance, if you're doing learning grids or choice boards like our districts are doing, one of your choices could be, you know, like go to this Flipgrid. And it will, it has everything in there, play the game and then be able to share your reflection back. Super powerful. They also break out EDU also has kits. So when we're back in the classroom again, depending on if your district has those kits available, it's, it's that tangible, like they're actually trying to break into the locks and open these boxes, which is really, really cool. And there's thousands of games in the platform and there are games for current technical and family consumer science in there. I have created one game and then there's one game for make learning magical in the in the platform as well some of my favorite creation tools are canva and adobe spark both are very similar but just have kind of different platforms i mean they just are set up a little bit differently but in both of those different platforms you can create infographics your students can create infographics they can create book covers they can create recipes they can i mean number of ways for them to demonstrate their learning through in a, in a visual way and a creative way and and they're both very very intuitive platforms and just recently in the last month canva has joined with google for education so now you can get educators can get a free canva license you have to prove that you're an educator and you can actually have students and you can sign up 30 i believe students right now for the premium as well but what is cool about that is that there's some extra features that are available with the premium and you can actually have your students share their canva creations through google classroom which is a really neat neat addition and with adobe spark in addition to being able to create those different types of images you also have adobe spark video and adobe spark pages which is kind of like a portfolio even out from the teacher end of things you can curate information in an adobe spark page and be able to share that link with students and so you know one thing that i love about a lot of these digital tools is that they're very intuitive and they actually can simplify your life as an educator. And I know that sometimes that's hard for educators to wrap their head around because they think, 
oh my gosh, like I've got to learn this new thing. It's disrupting my workflow. It seems like more work. And really what ends up happening when you, when you really dive in and you experience these digital tools, you start to realize, wow, like this actually can make my life as an educator simpler because it creates a more streamlined workflow. And as a teacher, you are not working as hard. So yes, there's that learning curve. Yes, you're going to have to push yourself out of the comfort zone at the beginning to learn the new thing. It's going to take a little bit of risk as an educator to disrupt your current practice to bring in these new things because you don't know. You don't really know how they work until you actually have students experience them. But what I think is really awesome is that you don't have to be perfect. You know, our kids appreciate when we try new things and they're very forgiving. And I got to the point as an educator where I would tell my students, I'm trying this new thing today. I've done some research. I think I've got it figured out, but I'm still not totally sure. So can you help me? Can we learn this together? And it's amazing how students are so receptive to that. And they're so appreciative that you are working hard to bring them exciting learning. And they often would help me figure things out and give me new ways to use the tool that I hadn't originally thought. And so, you know, I would say take a leap, jump out there, try some of these things. And I think that you will probably catch the excitement like I did and you'll find that it is kind of contagious and you'll, you'll keep wanting to, to learn more. <laughs> No, I agree because at the very beginning of this school year, I I stumbled across Flipgrid. I hadn't heard of it. And I somewhere along the line, somebody mentioned something. And so piqued my curiosity, which then I got into Flipgrid. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And then I was actually talking to my colleague who uh, she has a teaching academy. And her class was going to be going and working with kindergartners. And I was just starting, you know, in foods and nutrition, the safety and sanitation unit. So I quickly on the spot came up with the idea of using Flipgrid and um, having my students, you know, go and the objective was to teach kindergartners how to wash their hands and, you know, do it in the language of, you know, that is one, respectful <laughs> and responsible right. and but also break it down for them, you know, step by step. And there are actually more steps involved to washing your hands than just washing your hands. So my students, you know, made their Flipgrid videos, and then they downloaded the QR code. I'm all about QR codes. So they downloaded yeah. their QR code, and then I took them over to Canva. And at this time, they had to make their own accounts because we didn't, there wasn't the, the educator side. And right. I had them, you know, find all the pictures using, you know, the free resources that Canva has for pictures, you know, with the kind of just give a visual graphic of the each of the steps and washing your hands and then embedding the QR code for their video, which then, yeah. And, and then I printed all of, they shared their graphics with me and then I printed it out for them. And then I taped them up along the hallway at our school and in my classroom. And then, you know, as a fun game for all of my students was like, okay, now I want you guys to all go around and, you know, use the QR code and, you know, watch everybody's 
videos that they've made. And then you guys decide, you know, which videos or I guess, you know, kind of taking it back going, they would grade themselves, they would assess themselves and their peers. And then they signed off going, okay, I give consent for my brochure to go up to the elementary school. So, you know, they're fantastic. Yeah, I was collaborating with another class. And my students felt like they were doing something really positive and engaging for somebody else. And it's amazing, you know, when they think of other people all the time. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. And they were thinking That's like, amazing. oh, my sibling goes, is at this elementary school. They're going to see it. That's all right. <laughs> it's going to be fun. And they, the intern, they really, they had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, just like you said, you know, I was very straightforward with my kids and said, I just discovered this. I'm learning it alongside with you guys. I'm going to fail. But hey, we get to fail together and which will push us to do better next time. And they were all for it. I love it. No, you you touched on so many important things. I think for one, I mean, you're giving students the chance to create. The collaboration is happening. The communication is happening. You're giving your students a voice. There's this empathy piece where they're able to connect with and they're able to give something back, like you said, and that's super, super powerful. And then I love the fact that you smash two things together. So you have this Flipgrid and the Canva and you brought them together into this activity. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about these digital tools is so often we can do that. We have one tool that does this one thing and we have another tool that does this other awesome thing and we can figure out how they can work together. And that is, is beautiful. I think another powerful thing in what you just said is that you gave your students an authentic audience. So because they knew that these creations were not just going to be shared within their class, they're going to be shared beyond, they are, they, there's a, a level of ownership there and empowerment because they want them, they're invested, they want them to be good because they know not only are they going to be helpful for others, but other people are going to see them. And those are really powerful things. And when we think about, you know, what we could do, that learning opportunity that you created, we couldn't do it in that same way without that technology. Absolutely. So you are doing something with the technology that you were not able to do without it. Sure, they could have drawn like some a poster or something like that and, and done something, but it wouldn't have had the same meaning and the same power as what your students were able to create with the tools that they had in front of them. So I love, I love that. I think that that's a really, really powerful example of how digital tools can be used in really, really meaningful ways uh, in learning. Absolutely. So how can we, I guess, do you have any ideas on how we can convince our district administrators the need to investing into more digital learning? I mean, it's the future. Our world is in this space where we are using, we're using technology. We are, businesses are connecting on a global scale. They want people who are able to think critically, are able to communicate and globally collaborate, who are able to create. The, the need for those skills are continuing to rise. And we have to 
equip our students with the skills to be able to meet the needs of this changing world. I mean, the jobs that exist now didn't exist when we were, at least when I was in high school. The, the jobs that are going to exist five years from now are going to be different than the jobs that exist today. So we have to be able to equip our students with the skills to that are going to be necessary to navigate this this rapidly changing landscape that we're living in. And I think that it also is is really important that, you know, as as educators, that we are changing the way that we teach from being the, you know, you hear the term the sage on the stage or the guide on the side, you know, in education, the model was we're delivering this information. We are the keepers of this information and we are giving this to you, you know, and we're not in a world where our students can get on YouTube at any time and learn all sorts of stuff. My son, who's 18, almost 18 in a couple of weeks, he is continually learning and finding information on the internet and having to, you know, teaching himself new skills. So not that we, it's not important for us to still teach those skills, but we have to be able to help our students sift through what's real and what's not real for one. And we also need to help them understand what to do with the skills that they're learning and to be able to get them to critically think about them and to create and to problem solve and to think about the problems that exist and how and how they would solve it. And so I think we really have to be able to to change the way that we we look at information, look at education and, and know that we are no longer just the deliverers of content, that we have to be able to to truly equip our students to know what to do with the content that they have in front of them. Absolutely. You know, this is really creating, you know, that the digital leadership is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it really, it, it really is. And I think that that's, it's really important as we help our students navigate, you know, this, the digital world too, that, you know, there's so much negativity out there. And I think sometimes there's so much fear with, with social media and our kids, but we can teach our kids to be those digital leaders. And, we can show them how to make a positive, not only footprint, but tattoo on this world mm-hmm. with their, with that digital leadership. And, and we, we have to be able to teach our kids how to navigate it because, you know, it's different. When I was in high school, I didn't have, you know, things being posted on Twitter and, and Instagram and, and have this, this following of all the things that you know out there that I've done and now kids do and and helping them understand that when they share on social media that they're they're creating this digital tattoo but how powerful like if we use that for good if we if we show students how to share on social media in a positive way to make a positive difference in this world what an impact they can truly make absolutely so how do you think uh, this could enhance uh, student achievement? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think so much of this is like, how can we truly help our kids be invested in learning? And, and again, not only be engaged, but be immersed and empowered. And if we can create a learning environment that our students are excited to be a part of, 
then that achievement is kind of like the byproduct. Like they are going to achieve if they are truly excited and invested and empowered by the learning. It's just going to naturally happen. If we have kids that are checked out and can't wait to leave school and are just going through the motions and are, you know, just answering the questions on a worksheet, they're not going to have that level of empowerment and investment in what they're learning about. And the achievement may not happen, you know, as much. So I think that that's really key is, is truly finding ways to not only engage our kids, but to immerse and empower them in learning. So they truly own it. We want our kids to own their learning. And that is truly when achievement happens. Absolutely. So can you share some examples of ways that our FCS educators can bring digital learning into their classroom? Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many ways that you can. I mean, I think some of the digital tools that I shared are wonderful. The Flipgrid, the Pear Deck, Adobe Spark, Canva. I'm just taking the, if you are a Google for Education district, that's what I'm familiar with because uh, that's just the world that I've lived in. There's so many just tools within the Google for Education platform, like Google Slides, Google Drawings, that you can really use them in ways that you were, they were never even intended to use them for and really be able to create opportunities for students to collaborate within those spaces and create within those spaces. And so leveraging those tools to really allow students to create and collaborate is, is really, really powerful. I think finding ways to speak in a language that our students understand, you know, Snapchat, TikTok aren't necessarily languages that we speak, but if we can think about what students, those are those those platforms that students are gravitating to anyway. So how can we, it doesn't have to be TikTok or Snapchat, but how could we create similar experiences in our classroom that speaks in their language? For instance, in my culinary class, I had my students create food snaps and they could use, I mean, they could do it in a number of different platforms. They could really do it in a Google slide. They could do it in Snapchat. They could do it in different applications, but having them take a picture of their finished product and reflecting on it using emojis and bitmojis and annotating on it and then posting it to a collaborative board like Padlet, or they could post it to another kind of a, another great app for curation is Wakelet. And and really finding ways that students can express themselves in a way that, that makes sense to them. I think that that's really powerful. And I, I would say, too, to ask your kids. Ask your kids how they learn best and, and ask for their ideas because their ideas are powerful. And some of my best ideas that I've had in my classroom aren't my own ideas. They're ideas that my students have. And I think that we sometimes underestimate the power of their voice and how how much, I mean, they're the ones learning, so they know how they learn best. And sometimes we, we try so hard to figure out, like, how to reach our kids, and we, we forget, like, we could just ask them. <laughs> They'll tell us. They'll tell us how they learn best. <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. So you just kind of, you know, sparked a memory that I had for the beginning, again, for the beginning of this year. Both, I'm on a trimester schedule and towards, it was, you know, it was like a one part of a two part final for our foods and 
uh, nutrition classes, we made our students create either using TikTok video or Snapchat or iVideo, just some sort of way utilizing their cell phones or their laptops if they didn't have a cell phone, create a video making blueberry muffins and chocolate chip scones. And, you know, there's no talking in the video. They then have to, you know, transcribe, you know, in the comments of what steps they're doing and then showing their finished product, you know, taking it out of the video. And the videos had to be 90 seconds long. That was the max. 90 seconds long to, you know, if you could make it in 15 seconds, great. How much are you going to get out of a 15 second video? But, you know, 15 seconds to 90 seconds, you know, video and, you know, again, utilizing, you know, Flipgrid, iVideo, TikTok, any of the platforms of which they chose that was fine. And they didn't have to show their face. It was just show it, taking it out of the video. Or I'm sorry, out of the video, but out of the oven, their finished product. Right. And, you know, if and I had some students who got really creative and really, um, you know, mashed up music into their video and everything. And so I saw creativity, you know, at its finest. And, you know, some kids who are full on board with, utilizing all of that technology. They were super excited and engaged. And then I had some who are just like, oh my gosh, I have to try something new again. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, well, what I love that you just shared too, is that you have given your students choice and how they demonstrate their learning. And I think that that's a really powerful thing in creating immersive and empowering learning experiences that students have some voice and choice in what they do. And you've given them some flexibility in how they were able to create, you know? And so I think not, I think sometimes it, it can be overwhelming when we just open it wide up for students. Like you can do anything, but if we give them some parameters, like mm-hmm. I want you to do this, but here are some of the different ways that you could do it. And I'm going to let you choose. That's really, really powerful for students. And Another really important thing that you brought up is that sometimes it's uncomfortable for kids, just like it's uncomfortable for us to try new things. It's uncomfortable for students too. And sometimes they would just rather the boring worksheet because they know how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) They know they've done that lots of times before and it's easy and it's not, it's not pushing them beyond what's comfortable. And I think it's it's important to know to know that and to understand that you know what we it's okay for kids to get pushed a little bit out of their comfort zone and, and to try new things. I think it's important for us to be understanding and and uh, maybe do things and and small steps for them. Just as it is like like right now in in the world of COVID nineteen, we're all getting shoved out of our comfort zones and we're having to learn everything at once. And so you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be all like learning everything at one time. But yeah, sometimes just because kids don't want to do it, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not good for them to, to stretch a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. it's we're we're all human. And sometimes we just want to go to what's comfortable and what is maybe a little bit easier. (laughs) Yeah. And that in right now, in today's society, right now, where we're at, comfortable is a good thing. (laughs) Right. Exactly, exactly. So it kind of just this just kind of naturally leads into, you know, gamification and your stamp in the learning community. 
Can you just kind of talk briefly about what gamification is? Yeah, absolutely. So gamification is basically, it's really what I consider this, this pedagogy that I found to really transform the, the learning landscape in my classroom. So it's basically this framework that you layer over your curriculum to engage your students in the learning process. And so my view of a gamified classroom is basically building this storyline, this theme that involves character and a setting and an action, and then building in these game mechanics to hook our learners. And so the way that I view gamification is it is, it's a layering, it's, it goes beyond just playing games in class. And I think sometimes that's the misconception is gamification is, is all about, about just points and badges or just about playing games. Sure, in some of my classes, I do have points and badges and there are games involved, but really it is, it's a layering the storyline and game mechanics over my entire curriculum to really reframe what learning looks like. And I discovered gamification back in 2014. It was that same year that iPads came into my classroom and I had gone to a conference. It was my second ed tech conference that I had gone to ever. And I was in a lunch line with an educator by the name of Michael Matera. And uh, he's now an author of the book Explore Like a Pirate, but he had not, he wasn't an author at the time. And he was starting to talk about, you know, mystery box challenges and chop challenges and and this idea of gamification. And I started thinking, well, I do that. Like I do, I do chop challenges and mystery box challenges in my classroom. Like, tell me more. And he, I started realizing that this isn't just a a one-time thing, which had been my, in my classroom, that had been the case. I might have done a mystery box challenge, like right before we left for winter break or a chop challenge, just because I needed to use stuff up in my refrigerator, but I hadn't ever approached it as this gamified layer that was layered over everything. And this whole idea just kind of blew my mind. Like I can unify, I can unify everything and frame it in this gamified approach to really, to change the, the educational landscape in my classroom. And, and so to give an example, this took time. This didn't all happen overnight, but I created a framework for each of my three levels of culinary. So I had a master chef semester and the whole theme was master chef my students were contestants on master chef my classroom turned into the master chef kitchen and there was a variety of action we had little mini challenges within each unit we had a master chef challenge at the end of each unit where we brought in an authentic audience of judges and they were able to demonstrate their learning of skills and be able to turn it into something amazing i had my american regional cuisine class became the theme, the amazing food truck race. My setting was we were traveling in food trucks across the United States from Medford, Oregon to Medford, Maine, learning about the different regions of the United States. And my students were in food trucks choosing a concept like I had one food truck called Crepe Diem. And they were, as we moved across the United States, they were adapting their food truck concept to the flavor profiles and the cuisine of each place that we visited. 
across our journey. And so, you know, the thing about gamification is that I was still teaching the same content. I was still teaching region, American regional cuisine, but I reframed it in a way where now my students were learning about these regions, but they were food truck owners. They, they were part of the story now. They were traveling to these regions as food truck owners. They were creating these menus. They were developing their menus to meet the profiles, food profiles and culture of each place that we visited. And they were getting to have these like these challenges to try to to engage them and to get excited about what they were learning about. And then at the end of every unit, they were presenting what they learned and their new dishes to this authentic audience of judges again that were coming in and getting to critique and give them feedback on what they've created and and what they learned about and um, sometimes that would be staff members sometimes that would be food truck owners from our community but all of those pieces together created this this atmosphere that drew the learners in like they were they were part of this story the, the content came to life in a way that hadn't come alive before. And I was able to find ways, these game mechanics, to really grab their attention. You know, they were earning currency as they moved across the United States. They had opportunity to earn these extra, like, chance cards that would allow them to upgrade their ingredients and give them advantage in the game. So taking those, those things that we that draws into our favorite games that we play, whether that's a video game, a board game, a game app on your phone, thinking about what is it that makes you want to play those games over and over again, and taking that and and bringing that into your classroom to engage our students. And it, it's powerful. It made a complete um, transformation in the way that I that I taught and the way that I approached approach learning. And the thing is, it can happen in any classroom. It doesn't matter if it's kinder all the way through higher ed, you can bring that same elements of story and game mechanics into your classroom to create an incredibly immersive and empowering experience for students. Wow, I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited for just looking at the different ways because right now, you know, being home with my own family, you know, we're playing a lot of games and, you know, ah. and it helps, it shifts the mindset in the mind frame of the way you think. Cause you know, the games that my kids want to continuously be playing over and over again, I could start looking at it going, what is it about this game that makes them want to continue that? And, and then I can build something off of that and make it, authentic in what you're explaining. So that's perfect. Yeah. And I think that that's what's really exciting is that you can open your game closet and start playing games and you'll start looking at those games in a different way. And you'll think about, yeah, what is it? Is it, is it the chance? Is it the strategy? Is it the, you know, accumulation of points? Is it just the social dynamic and getting to sit around a dinner table and mm-hmm. get to engage with the people that you care about? Like, what are those components? And the thing is, kids are going to engage, 
different mechanics are going to appeal to different learners. And so when you build your game framework, thinking about that and thinking about, okay, this kid is definitely going to be one of those that's wanting the highest points. You know, these kids, they're, they're in it for the social piece and the collaboration. That's what's going to really motivate them in this game. This kid, you know, loves the strategy and how to like outwit uh, <laughs> the other players. So thinking about that and, and designing your game so that you appeal to a variety of learners and to know that you can start small, you can build a game framework for just a unit and then build from there. If that unit worked well, then build it into the next unit. And that your game's going to evolve over time. Like my game, goodness, the first time that I did it, it was for one, it was for one unit. And then the next time I did it, it was for another unit. And then pretty soon I was able to gamify a singleton class. And then it was over a period of time that I gamed every, I gamified everything. And it was a work in progress. You know, the things that I had included in my game the last year of gamifying were, were different than what I had in my game at the beginning. I adapted it as I saw my students respond to the game. And as I got ideas from my students, you know, and, and I think an important thing to understand too is sometimes it's just reframing and calling things something different. So like, for instance, if you wanted your students to do an assignment in class, don't call it an assignment, call it a quest, call it a challenge, call it a mission, and then maybe add some kind of a, a time element to something. It doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't mean that every single thing that you do in your class has to be in a gamified way, has to be approached in a gamified way. But if you can bring some things in that help to boost the level of excitement and just shift certain aspects of a learning activity that you have to be a little bit more exciting, it can make a big difference. For instance, I had a class when they were making cream pies. And so they have to make whipped cream for their, their cream pies. And I, and for years, I just had them make a cream pie and they made their whipped cream. But instead, have some adventure music playing when they come into class. Have whipped cream challenge posted up on your projector screen and have your station set up with a bowl, a whisk, and a cup of whipping cream. Have them go to their kitchens and say, you have, this is a challenge. And whoever is able to whip this cream fastest in your, you know, whichever team is going to get an extra incentive, you know, in this, in this gamified environment. And it's amazing how when we just reframe something, they were going to do it anyway, but by putting a time challenge to it, all of a sudden their wheels start turning. And instead of doing something that maybe would just be a mindless task, now they're having to think, okay, how could we do this to really make this, this cream whip faster? Maybe we need to have one person holding the bowl and another person holding the whisk. Maybe we need to rotate. Maybe we need to have a cold bowl. Like what are, what are the things? What are, what are the things that are going to make this process be more effective? And it's really the same challenge. It's just, it's adding, it's re reframing it in a way that students now are, are being challenged to think about, think about that experience in a different way. I love it. So how can, I guess, you know, if somebody has never heard of Tisha Richmond or, you know, make magical learning or make learning magical, I'm sorry, how can somebody find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at Tish Rich. You can find me on Instagram at Tish Richmond. There is a Facebook page called Gamifying Family and Consumer Science that is now, I think, approaching almost 2,000 people, which is awesome. And you can also find my resources and more information about me at tisharichmond.com. Uh, I released a podcast earlier this last September. It's going to, it's goodness. I can't believe it's been that long. And I release a new episode every week. So you can find the episodes on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Spotify or Apple or Anchor. It's on a number of different, different platforms. And then you can also reach out to me at uh, tishrich91 at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer your questions and uh, I just love engaging with educators from around the world and uh, so please please reach out I'd love to love to connect absolutely and yeah you do love to connect with anybody and everybody so I know I've connected with you on a couple of times so and I've loved that and just getting new ideas and just our just sharing just sharing thoughts so that's been absolutely wonderful and I stumbled across your uh, gamification Facebook page, you know, oh gosh, it was this last summer, which then all of a sudden I got on to my uh, state board's family consumer science, you know, the educator board, which then they said, oh, we're our keynote speaker is Tisha Richmond. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I just read her book, my, and I just came across her website or her, her Facebook page. I know her. And so that was, that connection has been just so supportive. <laughs> well, oh my goodness. That's so sweet of you to say. And I had so much fun connecting with you up in Washington for the conference. It was in October, I believe, yep. of last year. And it was so fun. We got to I said, I don't know if I sent it over Twitter or maybe it was the Gamifying Family Consumer Science page that I, I was going to be at the, the little restaurant within the... The, yeah, Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> yeah, it's the Great Wolf Lodge. And I'm like, anybody that wants to come and connect, you know, I'd love to meet you. And so we got to chat and it's been so, so wonderful getting to connect with you. And you're doing amazing things. You are so inspiring. And so keep doing what you're doing. You are making an incredible impact. And so, so really appreciate, appreciate you. Well, thank you. And, you know, I appreciate you and all that you're doing and I will continue to follow and continue to listen and continue to, you know, do shout outs and plugs. So I hope to have you back on the show sometime in the future. And when I'm back in the classroom. (laughs) Yes, that would be, that would be wonderful. I'd love to come on anytime. Great. Well, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today at Connect FCS Ed. In this podcast, we boldly celebrate families and careers by providing inspiration, support, and resources for teachers, students, and families. If you could do me a quick favor, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. My mission is to get this out in front of as many people as possible to help educate and inform the community that home economics is alive and well. Each week, I will choose one special person to win some Connect FCS Ed swag. So be sure to add your name to the review, and I will reach out to you if you're the winner. Thanks again for spending your time with me today, and be sure to visit me at fcspodcast.com. 
our past episodes and more gifts to help spread the word that family and consumer science is today's home economics.